My name is Dr. Charles Hoff. I'm a family doctor. I have lived and worked in Lytton for the last 28 years. So I'm your neighbor from across the mountains. <laughs> and I am amazed in this little community of Pemberton how many people have braved the cold to come out here this evening. <laughs> I can see that British Columbians are eager to hear truth because we have been taught a narrative. Hello? We have been fed a narrative of fear and of misinformation by our leaders. Some people have asked me what was it that started in my mind, to realize that what we have been told by the authorities may not be true. And back in about February of last year, when this literally this pandemic was just taking off, and I looked at the survival figures for COVID-19 that were coming out of the countries where it had reached at that time, and I saw that the survival rate for COVID was about the same as the flu in every age category. And so all of the lockdowns and the panics and the masks and the social distancing and schools being closed made no sense. So I realized that things were being enormously exaggerated in order to make people fearful. So I started to then look at treatments for COVID. I started to then look at the, the research that, because we were told fairly early on that they were working on vaccines and that they were going to use gene-based vaccines, which have never been used in humans before. So I started researching the history of gene-based vaccines, which have been tried out for a number of years in laboratory animals. And all of the, the conclusions of that research had shown enormous harm, and there had never before been any successful vaccine produced for coronaviruses, and there had never been before been a safe gene-based vaccine produced, and they have never been tried on humans. So when we heard that they were going to, well, we heard of Operation Lights, was it, what was the, was Trump's one, was it Warp Speed, Warp Speed. When we heard that there were these Warp Speed vaccines going to be rolled out on the population with no animal trials done, with no long-term safety data, I had great concerns because this seemed to me to be way too quick and it seemed to me that it was being poured out on people who had been primed with fear. Have you noticed how all of the restrictions that are put upon us, we are told, are to keep us safe? <coughs> Have you noticed how you need to wear a mask to keep you safe? You need to stay away from others to keep you safe. You need to take this shot to keep you safe. You sound like Bonnie Henry. 
Yet, yet they will refuse to offer you any treatment for COVID to keep you safe. They literally block doctors like me and Dr. Malthouse and Dr. Bastian. We are not allowed to prescribe antiviral treatment for COVID-19 to keep you out of hospital. How safe is that? Ivermectin is literally one of the safest medications known to man. It has been used on human beings for almost 40 years, with almost 4 billion doses used around the world. And yet it is known to be safe and effective in 79 countries around the world, yet in Canada for some peculiar reason it's not safe. It is. The authorities will tell you it is safer to do nothing until you can't breathe and then go into the hospital. There is no other type of infectious disease that any doctor would tell you. If, if you started getting a pneumonia or if you had an infected wound and you went to your doctor and he saw that you were sick with some infectious disease, if your doctor told you to go home and do nothing, until you were in critical condition and then come back and they would see what they could do, you would probably report that doctor to the College of Physicians and Surgeons for medical malpractice. That is not safe. COVID-19 has turned out to be one of the most easily treated infections. And there are brilliant and safe, effective treatments for it. And as Dr. Malthouse mentioned, taking something as, as simple as vitamin D, as he mentioned, a study in Malaysia showed that if the population has adequate levels of vitamin D, your COVID death rate literally drops to zero. So when this pandemic turned out, if they had taken that vitamin D into the old age homes and the long-term care facilities and made sure that everyone had adequate levels of vitamin D, it would have made an enormous difference. Instead, they told people to do nothing until they were absolutely critical and then they could take them in and intubate them and finish them off. This is not safe. So back in, in March of this year, when the vaccine rollout was in its third month, and there was evidence of serious harm coming reports from Europe with it, but by, by mid-March, 12 countries in Europe had shut down the AstraZeneca vaccine because of blood clots. I sent an email to a group of my colleagues, doctors, nurses, and pharmacists in the Lillooet and Lytton area, people who were actually giving these shots. I was not. I, just, I, I know it's been in the media that I gave 900 people COVID shots. I just want to tell you that it is not true. I have never given anybody a COVID shot. Because I had researched the history of gene-based vaccines before any of these shots came to Canada, and I knew they were not safe. So I told them that I wanted nothing to do with this. Because I do not experiment on people with things that are known to be unsafe. The Hippocratic Oath is to do no harm. And it is never appropriate for doctors to give a, 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 any treatment that has clear evidence of harm to a healthy person. Every vaccine injury is a medically caused disease in a previously well person. 
It is absolutely unethical. So I sent an email to some of my colleagues saying, there is a foundational principle of medical ethics. That if you are doing an experiment, if you are testing out a new experimental treatment, and in the course of your treatment, evidence of harm becomes apparent, you are supposed to stop the experiment. Should we not be pausing this to take stock of what is happening? And that email was sent to my superiors in Kamloops at Royal Inland Hospital. And a few days later I had a, a meeting with, with my superiors there who reprimanded me for causing vaccine hesitancy. And I was told that I was not allowed to say anything negative about these experimental shots in our healthcare facility in Lytton. And they told me that I would be reported to the College of Physicians and Surgeons because I was causing vaccine hesitancy. And I was told that if I had any questions about these vaccines, that they should not be directed to my colleagues, that they should be directed to the medical health officer in Kamloops in charge of the vaccine rollout for the Thompson-Nicola area. And so it struck me as very odd where I, as a medical doctor, who have taken an oath, the Hippocratic oath is to do no harm, that I was not allowed to question the safety of an experimental treatment that had clear evidence of harm. Why was I not even allowed to question it? Why was I going to be disciplined and investigated by the college for questioning the safety of this experimental product? Something was seriously wrong. About six weeks later, a patient came into our emergency room and this patient was quite unwell. This lady had had her COVID shot about a week before and she had terrible headaches and abdominal pains and nausea and vomiting and fever and she was quite worried because she had COVID five weeks before and her only symptoms were fatigue and loss of appetite for 10 days. And now she had this COVID shot and was way more sick from her COVID shot than she'd been from COVID. So she thought something must be seriously wrong. Why did the shot make her more sick than COVID? So I was on call for the emergency room and the emergency room nurse phoned me. I was at, at home having dinner with some friends. And I said to the nurse, yes, I, I know that patient. She's, I've been her family doctor for 28 years. She had a COVID infection five weeks ago. Please will you tell her that she doesn't need her second shot? And I explained to the emergency room nurse the research study that was done in Singapore last year where they investigated natural immunity after the first SARS virus and found that natural immunity against a SARS virus lasts at least 18 years and is broad enough to cover every variant. And I explained in detail that research to the nurse and said, please will you tell that patient she doesn't need her second shot. And the nurse said to me, 
and not allowed to tell the patient she doesn't need her second shot. So I said, okay, I accept that. Please will you just ask the patient just to come and see me in my office and I will explain the science of why she doesn't need her second shot because she is already immune to COVID. Shortly after that, I received a telephone call and a registered letter from Kamloops telling me that I was being fired from the emergency room. I was no longer, after having worked as an emergency room physician for 31 years with not a single complaint against me, I was fired for explaining to an emergency room nurse why a person who was already immune to COVID through natural infection didn't need to be vaccinated against it. There is something seriously wrong in Canada. The Hippocratic Oath is to do no harm, and I take it very seriously. So I set out to discover what it was that it was, was going wrong, because by that point, I had six people in my medical practice with serious neurological problems after their first COVID shot. I now have 10 people in my medical practice. We're now 11 months since they received their first shot. They got it in January of, of this year, 2021. I have 10 people in Lytton in my medical practice who are permanently disabled since their COVID shot in January. So I had sent a letter to Dr. Bonnie Henry back in April asking her what the mechanism of injury was for what was injuring my patients. And I asked her how I should treat this as these people's doctor, what should I be doing? And the only answer that I got was to be referred to a vaccine safety specialist who assured me that none of the vaccine injuries that I saw in my patients could possibly be from these shots, that these were simply all coincidences. This was absurd, because of all the vaccine-injured patients in my medical practice, 85% of their injuries started within 72 hours of their shot, yet I'm told that they're all coincidences. And I have sent 14 vaccine injury reports into Kamloops to that medical health officer that I was told to direct my questions to. And the response I get to all of them is that these are not from the vaccine. These vaccines are safe. They don't do that. These are just all coincidences. So the people who are supposed to be responsible for monitoring the safety of this experiment are vaccine injury deniers. They are not interested in safety. They have so believed the lie that these shots are safe that even when harm is caused, they refuse to believe it could possibly be it, be from that, and they just say, no, these are coincidences. And I hear this over and over. I meet hundreds of people that come to tell me about their vaccine injuries. And they say that when they go to the emergency room, the doctors say, no, this, your heart attack or your stroke or whatever, your seizures or whatever you've got, your deficits can't be from these shots because we're told they're safe. Therefore, it can't be from the shots. This must be just another coincidence. So we now know that these COVID shots 
are the commonest cause of coincidences known to man. <laughs> so since Dr. Bonnie Henry couldn't tell me what the mechanism of injury was that had caused all the problems in my patients, and perhaps I should just tell you before I go any further what the problems are in my own patients. So now I have six people in my medical practice who get short of breath when they exert themselves. To be more specific, I have one fellow who lived on the, uh, the, the, the reserve, the Indian reserve, two miles out of town on the road to Lowerwet, and he would walk two miles to my office every week to get an injection for his arthritis, and he would walk two miles home again, and he did that every Wednesday for years. Until he had his COVID shot, and he found that from the time he had that COVID shot, the furthest he could walk was a quarter of a mile and he was completely out of breath. And after 11 months, there is no improvement. I have six people like that with, re with reduced ability to exert themselves ever since their COVID shot. And I have met dozens and dozens of other people that have come to me and say they have exactly the same thing. And when they, when they went to their doctor, their doctor says, oh no, it can't be from the COVID shot. This is just a coincidence. I have three, three people in my medical practice who have severe weakness of both hands. Where their hands are so weak they can't open a jar anymore. One lady who tells me that she cannot open a door if it has a round doorknob because even using both hands, she is not strong enough to turn the doorknob. I have a gentleman in my practice who has difficulty pronouncing words now ever since his COVID shock. He knows the word he needs to say, but he just can't articulate it with his mouth to speak it. He, has no, he also has reduced effort tolerance. He gets out of breath. He has, his memory is reduced. I have two patients who experience what they say feels like electrical shocks, feels like they're literally being electrocuted with these sudden electrical jolts and bolts that shoot into their arms and legs ever since their COVID shot. So I set out to try and discover what happened to these patients of mine and what could I possibly do to help them. Because they had been so severely damaged by this shot which they were told was to keep them safe. And I discovered that contrary to the claims of the vaccine manufacturers, that 75% of that injection goes around your body in the bloodstream, it does not stay in your arm. Which means that those COVID spikes are produced in the cells all around your body. Those little RNA gene packages get absorbed into your capillary networks in every place that you've got blood vessel capillaries in your body. They will be in your lungs, in your heart, in your liver, in your ovaries, in your brain, in your spinal cord. Everywhere that blood goes, these spike proteins will be produced. But the problem is that these spike proteins are then going to be produced in the cells around your blood vessels because that's where they are absorbed into 
from your bloodstream. And so because these little spikes are spikes, the lining of your blood vessels will no longer be smooth. It will be spiky and rough, so that when a blood platelet comes down that little vessel and hits that spiky spot, it is absolutely inevitable that a blood clot will form. Because the function of a blood platelet is to detect a damaged vessel. Whenever a blood platelet encounters a rough spot on a vessel, it assumes that that vessel has been damaged from an injury and needs to be blocked to stop the bleeding. So a blood clot will form. So just as smoking can be predicted to cause cancer because of all of the carcinogens in it, it is absolutely predictable that these shots will cause microscopic blood clots because they produce spike proteins in your blood vessels. And autopsies of people who have died from their COVID shots have now revealed these spike proteins in every organ of the body. So I needed to know, so how could I, how could I know for sure that these blood clots were forming? Because remember, microscopic blood clots are so small that they will not show on any kind of medical imaging. They will not show on an MRI or a CT scan or on any kind of medical imaging because they are just too small. They are microscopic and they are scattered. So the only way that, a, that they could be detected was with a blood test called a D-dimer. And as an emergency room physician, I can tell you that if, if you came into the emergency room and I suspected that you might have a blood clot somewhere in your body, I would do a blood test called a D-dimer. And it wouldn't tell me where, where the clot is. It just tells me if you've got a clot. And so I started looking for people in my medical practice amongst my patients who had had their shot in the previous seven days. And when people would come in to get a refill of their pills or to talk to me about some medical issue and I would say to them, have you had your COVID shot? How's it going? And just make sure they were okay. And whenever I found someone who was scheduled to have their shot the next week, I would say to them, I'm trying to investigate whether these shots are causing microvascular clots. Would you be willing to do this D-dimer test before your COVID shot to see what your baseline is and after your COVID shot to see if you've got microscopic clots. And I discovered that more than 50% of my patients were getting blood clots from their COVID shot. More than, in fact it was 52%. Now, shortly after I started I was so alarmed by this initially the first numbers that I got were 62%. As I got more numbers, it sort of even down at about 52%. Ten days after I spoke about that, out about that, my office was burned to the ground and lit on fire. And so unfortunately my research came to a very abrupt halt because I had to flee from my office to escape the fire. And all of my equipment and all of my records and the entire emergency room that I'd been fired from was burned to the ground. It was a very scary and tragic day. You're a hero, Charles.
so wanted to know what I could do to keep my patients safe and know what I could do to help them with their vaccine injuries. And all I could do for these people who had the elevated D-dimer tests was to tell them to take aspirin. And I felt very weak. Because all I could do, all that aspirin is going to do is it reduces platelet adhesion, it stops platelets sticking to each other so much so it reduces the likelihood of more clots. But once blood clots form, once you have got clotted vessels, they never go back to normal. Aspirin will not dissolve the clot. These, these shots are causing permanent injury and the injury will accumulate with every shot. And the reason why we are here today is because they are coming for our children. A child, a child is a hundred times more likely to die from the injection than they are from COVID. A hundred times. In fact, if you look at the exact numbers, it's 117. Let's round it off to 100. COVID is no risk to children. And they will get microscopic blood clots the same as anyone else. They don't need this shot because COVID is no risk to them. They don't spread it and they don't get it. As Dr. Malthouse says, 75% of children that get COVID have no symptoms at all. And not one single child under the age of 19 has died of COVID and BC yet. So why on earth do they want to vaccinate them against a disease that is of no risk to them and which we know is causing permanent damage? Control! Evil! The children of Canada are the future of Canada. We know that these spike proteins accumulate in the ovaries more than any other organ. The fertility risks of these are enormous. The assurances from the medical health authorities that these shots will not affect co-infertility are nothing more than a hopeful guess. Because fertility studies take many, many years to accomplish. Fertility is highly complex. All of the factors that control a woman's ovarian cycle are very complex. All of the factors needed to maintain a pregnancy are extremely complex. That is why any new treatment will never be cleared for safety and pregnancy after for many, many years because fertility is extremely complex. We have no idea what these will sh shots will do to a baby in the womb that is just being formed. Not a clue. Yet they will tell you that it is safe. And you've probably heard of all the miscarriages which are so prevalent, firstly and especially in the first 20 weeks of pregnancy, in pregnant women who get this shot. These shots are causing permanent damage. I've spoken to pathologists and oncologists from Kamloops and, and, and Vernon Hospital who have told me about the terrible cancers that they are seeing in people who have had their shots. One of the cancer specialists from Vernon Jubilee Hospital told me about the patients that they have seen. Where the, These were patients that were treated for cancers five or more years ago where they have been following them 
and they monitor them every six months to make sure that there is absolutely no sign of recurrence of the cancers. Until the person has their COVID shot, and they literally go from cancer-free to stage four in five months. Because these shots, that spike protein damages your body's ability to repair DNA and to recognize tumor cells. It literally is doing permanent damage to the immune system. And now they are coming for our children. It is time that we need to say no. This slide shows the, the vaccine injury reporting system from the US. And I just want to let you know that Canada doesn't have a vaccine injury reporting system. It pretends to have one, but, that, but when a doctor like me tries to report what happened to my patients who get censored higher up, and none of them get even entered into the data, and then they tell you, well, the, the injuries are very rare because they get censored. These are the figures up until the 26th of November. And you can see that... Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, we didn't change. You'll see in the top left-hand corner, 19,500, it's now over 20,000 people in the U.S. have died suddenly and unexpectedly after their COVID shot. And we know from medical research done that the vaccine injury statistics represent less than 1% of the real numbers. So you actually need to multiply that by 100. These are people who died suddenly and unexpectedly after their COVID shot. There used to be an international standard with vaccines that if any vaccine caused more than anywhere between 25 and 50 deaths worldwide, it was shut down. Because every vaccine injury is a medically and caused, caused disease or death in a previously healthy person. Vaccines are supposed to pe keep people safe. They're not supposed to kill people or injure people. But these vaccines have now broken all records for the most dangerous vaccines ever used in history. And yet our medical leaders continue to tell us that they are safe. It is absolutely absurd. This is a graph that shows the total number of deaths for all vaccines in the last 30 years in the United States. You see it's a very, very low rate all the way until we, the beginning of 2021 when the COVID vaccine rollout began. And it takes off like a skyrocket. Clearly, you can see clearly from that graph that these shots have killed more people than all of the vaccines in history combined. And yet they continue to tell us that they are safe. This is absolutely absurd. And I should tell you that those, those 20,000 people who have died so far in the US shortly after their shot 50% of them died within two days. And 80% within five days. And the cutoff was 21 days. And people that died after 21 days suddenly and unexpectedly were not even included in it. And that only represents about 1% of the actual deaths. 
This is a rather tragic collage. You could probably call this a vaccine cemetery. This is a very, very sad picture of young people who have either died, I think two of them had myocarditis, but most of them are young people who had this COVID shot believing that it was going to keep them safe and are now dead. As I mentioned, a child is a hundred times more likely to die from the shot than from COVID. If for people over the age of 65, which is the more vulnerable group for, for COVID, people over the age of 65 are five times more likely to die from the shot than from COVID. So these shots are clearly more dangerous than COVID. And now they are coming for our children. I think it is time that we as British Columbians need to be doing whatever we can to protect our children. Even if it means taking them out of school to keep them safe. So I think we're going to turn this time over now to a question time. Um, and um, I'll hand you over to Carrie. We all want truth. Truth will set you free. free.